Yeah, I mean, clearly he is an alchemist for a living and can turn stone into gold. No, he'll just turn her $1,700 into thirty k and everybody wins. Abracadabra, <laughs> swish and flick. <laughs> Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hey guys, welcome to a super fun episode of Pennies and Popcorn. We are stoked about today because there's just so much meaty content in the show that we're talking about today. And what show is that, Robert? We're talking about Sex in the City, everyone's favorite. Do, 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 do. Is that the theme song? That is the theme song. Okay. Uh, we're talking about season four, episode 16. So I'm sure everyone knows the title of that. It's Ring a Ding Ding. Oh, yeah. It's super common knowledge. Um, I don't have a ton of Sex in the City knowledge. We did go see the movie together, the mm-hmm. first one. And I think I've seen about 10 episodes in their entirety and probably little snippets of another dozen or two um, because it's in syndication and you you catch it flipping around or I would have back in the day. Yeah, highly edited versions are in syndication, I should say. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah. So I've seen a lot more than that. I don't know how many I've seen. I'm pretty sure it's not every episode, but it's, it's a lot. I've seen a lot of it over the years. It was almost inescapable when it was in its heyday. I guess I was in high school when it came out in 1998. So far too young for it back then. But then when I was in college and law school, I'm pretty sure it was still going strong. And it was just all the rage. All my female friends were obsessed with it. And I cannot tell you how many conversations I had about are you a Charlotte, Samantha, Carrie, or Miranda? Yeah, my guy friends and I did, didn't do that very you often. You didn't talk about that? No. Well, you've seen enough to know. Robert, do you feel like you're a Charlotte, a Carrie, a Samantha, or a Miranda? I do not. <laughs> no opinion there. No, you're not any of these characters? Uh, I don't think so. I think I have my life in a different state than most of them. We do live in Colorado, and that takes place in New York. So that's... True, very true. No, I don't, I don't really identify with any of the characters, really. Yeah, I do feel like I was pigeonholed as a Charlotte because I have kind of like a sweet voice and seemed a little bit more innocent. But in hindsight, holy cow, I hope I'm not a Charlotte. Like, she has so many issues, and yeah... The only person that I think is even someone that I would maybe want to be is Miranda. She's really sharp, kind of got her shit together a lot more than most of the other characters. And She's also an attorney. Maybe you see a little lawyer. bit of that in yourself. Yeah, yeah. For, for those of you out there who are more like me than Carla and don't know that much about the show, just a quick series overview summary. The show is set in New York. It takes place like in the heart of New York City with these four women uh, who are in their what like mid-30s early 40s mm-hmm. I think three of them are in their 30s one of them is in their 40s and and they're friends great friends and it just centers on their social lives right we don't know a whole lot about their backstories really um, but it's just these close friends in New York City 
Samantha, Miranda, Carrie, and Charlotte. I got it. I literally just said it, so it would have been extremely disappointing if you couldn't keep that in your head. <laughs> so, yeah, I I watched the show. I can't pretend that I didn't enjoy it at the time. But, my goodness, there's so much going on that's just extremely problematic, especially from a money standpoint, which is what we're going to talk about today. Well, before we jump in, I was going to say it was a successful show. I think it combined to win 15 Emmys and Golden Globes. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I thought was really interesting, though, is Sarah Jessica Parker, the woman who plays Carrie Bradshaw, you probably know her from Hocus Pocus. She was one of the witches. Come, little children. (laughs) I'm just going to sing this whole episode. Okay, I like it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Sarah Jessica Parker uh, signed a contract to be in the show. They recorded a pilot episode, and she hated it. She thought it was garbage (laughs) and thought it was going to be a total flop and would be the end of her career. And she went back to the studio. She went back to HBO and said, hey, I I want out of my contract. I'll do three HBO movies for you for free. Get me out of this. Wow. And then they took some of her feedback, some of the things that she didn't like in the show, reworked it a bit, and then obviously became the smash hit that it was. So they they did not let her out of her contract. I think she said after they filmed the first episode, she changed her mind and thought it was going to be good, but not anywhere near as good or big as it eventually became. Yeah, I mean, what is Sarah Jessica Parker without Sex in the City? It's hard to imagine. But, you know, I can kind of see where she was coming from because they were doing some things that just seem super weird now in hindsight. They had this thing where the characters would stop and talk to the camera, kind of like office style. But it was not nearly as well done as The Office, and it just mm. kind of was awkward. And they quit doing that, I think, just a few episodes in, maybe like halfway through season one. Yeah, that seems like a weird thing to do in that show, just with the pace of it and the nature of what they're talking about. It, it just doesn't seem to go with the flow. Yeah, they definitely found their groove, and it got a lot better. But yeah, it it got off to a little bit of a rocky start. Okay. Well, are, is there anything else that our audience needs to know about the universe of Sex in the City before we dive into Ring-A-Ding-Ding? No, I don't think so. Four friends living it up in the city. Pretty extravagant lifestyles, as we're going to talk about. But yeah, if you're not a Sex in the City fan, I would definitely encourage you to still listen to this episode because there's so much to talk about. and <laughs> The money element to this series in general, and specifically this episode, is amazing. Carly, you did a good job of selecting an episode in the show for us to talk about. Definitely a lot of money stuff going on here. It's one of the most infamous episodes of the series for for money reasons. So yeah, it's definitely a good one to sink our teeth into. So set the stage for our audience because most people don't know the show by season and episode number. So Ring-A-Ding-Ding, the episode that we're talking about today, sees Carrie busting up her engagement. She has been engaged to a gentleman named Aiden. That's the guy from my big fat Greek wedding. Indeed it is. Okay. And Carrie and Aiden um, are breaking up specifically because Carrie has been cheating on him for quite a while, I might add, with another dude who is known mostly throughout the series as Big. Yeah, I read that uh, they don't release his name at all in the the series until the final episode. It was like a recurring gag Mm -hmm. that every time she tried to introduce him by name to somebody new, 
it, she got cut off somehow and it just kept being big. That's how everyone knew him. Yep. So he was just <laughs> big at the time. Um, but yeah, she's been having an affair with Big despite her engagement to Aiden. Aiden finds out about it and they are now ending their engagement. This puts Carrie in a very difficult position because Carrie has been living in the same apartment for a really long time. Her apartment is almost like a character on the show. So much happens there. It's this iconic brownstone in New York that she lives in. And she also notes in the series that it is a rent-controlled apartment. So she's living in this like pretty posh area of New York in a really beautiful building, but she only pays $700 a month in rent. Let me interrupt and let's talk about rent control, uh, rent-stabilized apartments in New York. I don't think that's the main topic of this show, but I feel like it's a common misconception that you can just get some sort of rent-controlled place or something. The rules for this are pretty tight, and it's designed to protect low-income people who've lived in New York or lived wherever there's rent control for a long time, and perhaps they're on a fixed income or their income hasn't kept up with the cost of living increases that have happened in that location. And so I think in New York, you needed to be continuously occupying your residence since 1971 or something like that. Yep. Yeah, kind of a long time. Or... Uh, which is likely the case for Carrie for how she would have gotten this if this was real, but I think it's a plot hole in the show. Uh, you could live with someone else for two years before they vacate the the place and give it to you. It needs to be, I think, a relative. Well, but like the person who is your relative that you're living with. They had to live there years. since 1971 yeah, continuously. Yeah. So maybe she went and cared for her grandmother who was ill in her final couple of years. And lived with her or something. In the very small one-bedroom apartment for two years? I don't know. Maybe it was her mom's place yeah. from like right before she was born. I don't know. It, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It seems pretty unrealistic for her to get a rent control place. That's not a thing. TV shows and movies all the time talk about getting into a rent-controlled apartment. But it's not just something that you can do. You actually have to qualify for it. And normal people don't. Yeah, very, very difficult to get. Like you said, basically have to inherit it and not just inherit it, but also have lived with the person from whom you are inheriting it for at least two years before they pass away. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty unlikely that Gary was lucky enough to fall into this loophole of New York City real estate. But So anyway, we know she had a $700 a month apartment. And she is engaged to Mr. My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Aiden. Correct. And the, before, in an, a previous episode, as I understand it, he purchased the apartment. So he bought it. And now in this episode, after they're splitting up, he's moving out. She's staying with the apartment. And he leaves her a letter. And she thinks it is his final kind of love note, final message to this woman that he intended to marry. Instead, it's not a love note. It's not any kind of meaningful letter. It is a business letter that says, you've got 30 days to figure out what you want to do with my place. I'll happily sell it to you for the amount I bought it for. Or you're going to have to leave because I'm going to put it on the market and sell it to somebody else. Yep. Which just makes me think, Carrie, you massively idiotic human being. Why, oh why did you take... The most valuable asset that you have, which was this incredible apartment, which you love, 
and you were able to rent for the low, low price of $700 a month, which was super low for New York City, even 20 years ago when this episode was taking place. And just let your fiance buy it in your name, thereby cutting off your ability to continue renting this place for the low, low price of 700 Well, I don't think we can judge her too much for deciding to enter into this, having her, her fiancé buy the place until we recognized that she'd been cheating on him the whole Correct. time. <laughs> and when he proposed, this is the guy who, where she wore uh, the engagement ring around her neck because she just like was so not into it. Yeah, he gives her this like crazy expensive engagement ring and she's so wishy-washy about the relationship and wanting to like tell people that she's engaged that she wears it on a necklace instead of on her finger. Okay. So yeah, she there's so many red flags that she is not actually into this relationship. Yeah, if your apartment yeah. is is hugely important to you uh, and you are not really into the your fiance, I don't think it's a good idea for you to let them buy it. You probably need to work through that a little bit differently. But nevertheless, yeah. That happens, and we're into the episode, and now Carrie is at a point where she's got to figure out what to do. She definitely doesn't want to get rid of the apartment. She wants to keep it and keep living there, so now she's got to go pay for it. Yeah. How does she do that? Well, she tries to get a loan. She goes to the bank, and it doesn't go real well. Okay, let's look at your assets here at the bank. We may be able to use them as collateral for the loan. It says here that you have 700 in your checking account. I just paid my credit card bill. And 957 in savings. What about your assets outside the bank? Um, property? Stocks? Bonds? No, no, no. I'm sorry, Miss Bradshaw, but you are not a desirable candidate for a loan. So Carrie is, yeah, which is right. Uh, She's 35, and it sounds like she's got about $1,700 roughly to her name. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit tough. She's basically got very limited financial resiliency. It sounds like she does have at least some credit cards she could use to, to weather a small storm, but not a storm of this size. So how much money does Carrie actually need to buy her place? So best estimates for the value of her apartment at the time in 2002 when this episode aired is about $150,000. Okay, that makes sense. Later on in the show, they say that she got $30,000 as what she was going for. And that's 20% of $150,000, which is a standard amount for a conventional loan, certainly in 2002 when this episode aired. Yeah. So it's not a crazy expensive apartment it's small like we said but it is in a very desirable neighborhood and i should note that the value of it has since skyrocketed i think now it would be worth somewhere in the range of like six to seven hundred thousand dollars so would have been a good thing for her to have like been saving to buy her apartment so she's 35 she's not a candidate for a loan uh how is she doing compared to the rest of the world the rest of america In some ways, she's doing pretty okay compared to the average American. But in other ways, she's doing absolutely horribly, in my not-at-all-humble opinion. So (laughs) she works as a columnist, 
And best estimates are that at the time she was making probably somewhere in the range of $40,000. Today might be maybe 50 to 55. Okay. So she's bringing in something like $3,000 a month after taxes, a little, a little $2,700, $2,800 a month after taxes. Okay. So I did some researching. People today in 2022, the median net worth for somebody at age 35, there's a study done, I think in 2019, uh, was about $35,000 for a 35-year-old. Now that's a little bit misleading because... It changes based on home equity, right? She lives in a place where purchasing a home is not as common. There's a lot more renters. She doesn't have a home. Uh, there's also a little bit of net worth for some people in things like a primary vehicle, right? You could have a, a car that you no longer are making payments on, that you own outright, that has a decent bit of resale value. So you can, you can get there to $35,000 with some asset classes that she just isn't a part of at all. Yes, but also the fact that she doesn't have the expense of a car oh, or yeah. the expenses of, you know, upkeeping a home and paying property taxes on it should be balancing that out and she should be able to save more. But of course, she's not doing that. She's spending it on her shoes and her clothes. Her shopping habit is wildly, wildly out of control. So <laughs> yeah, she should be doing a little bit better than that. But sadly, she is not. The median savings for someone who's about 35 is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,500. But that's the balance of your actual savings account. So that's not taking into account things like home equity, any other kind of equity, or things like stocks, bonds, um, or retirement accounts. So $2,500, I think, is a misleading number. I think the net worth number is um, a better snapshot of what the median would be for a 35-year-old in America. So she's she's fallen pretty well short of that. Yeah. I mean, I think people who are earning an income of, let's say, more than $50,000 a year today, we would hope that they're doing better than having $2,500 in liquid savings or... Like if that's all they have, if that's their, if their net worth is twenty five hundred dollars, they're really struggling. I, th I think you have earned enough income, likely for long enough, that you've made some choices that have put you in a pretty unfortunate situation. Yeah, she's made a lot of mistakes. I mean, she doesn't have children. She doesn't have the kinds of assets that can cause emergencies, right? She doesn't have a car to break down where she needs to go spend thousands of dollars to get that fixed. She doesn't have a air conditioner that can break down that she's going to have to replace. And, and she only pays $700 a month in rent. So yeah. her life is very low risk. She's young. She's healthy. Like she just doesn't have a lot of emergencies that are likely to come up for her. Well, so I, I don't think she, she's probably not carrying health insurance. That is right. She's true. A, she's a columnist, but she's really a freelancer, right? She writes for the newspaper. She writes for Vogue. She writes for probably other periodicals. Mm -hmm. It's not like one of them provides her with some sort of amazing benefits package. And yeah. if she doesn't have the money, we looked into her budget just a little bit, but there's no way that she'd also be able to pay all of the cost of health insurance on her own in addition to her lifestyle. Yeah. So let's take a listen to our next clip and try to get some insight into where exactly Carrie's money is going. The lady at the bank said I was an unattractive candidate for a loan. 
Where did all my money go? I know I made some. Uh, at 400 bucks a pop, how many of these do you have? 50? Come on. 100? Would that be wrong? 100 times 400. There's your down payment. Well, that's only 4,000. No, it's 40,000. <gasps> I spent $40,000 on shoes and I have no place to live? I will literally be the old woman who lived in her shoes. Oh man. So the writing is great. I love that little quip at the end. But oh my god, that stresses me out so much. That So we should clarify, if it's not clear from the context, they're shoe shopping as they're having this conversation. <laughs> this and, is after she's already realized she doesn't have enough money yeah. and she's going out trying to buy some four or $500 Manolo Blahniks. Correct. And Miranda is obviously correctly pointing out to Carrie that 100 times 400 <laughs> is not $4,000. It is $40,000, which is just the most disgusting amount of money to spend on nothing but shoes. Oh my gosh. I'm fighting back tears, guys. I mean, before before we get too critical of the math error and how she might have realized that this was happening and that she spent this much money, what's the most you've ever spent on shoes? So I am not a shoe person at all as when it comes to like high heels or any kind of like what most women would probably call like cute shoes. You, you don't buy fashionable shoes. I really, I kind of hate them with a passion. And every time I have to go shoe shopping for something that I could like wear in a courtroom or something, I just wish that no one had ever invented high heels and that they would all just disappear because I hate them so much. However, I do have to confess that I have a little bit of a thing for like hiking shoes and hiking boots, which are not super cheap. And I've had like ankle problems and just problems with my feet in general. And so I'm always hoping to find like that one perfect hiking shoe that will let me hike for 15 miles and not even notice, which I've come to accept does not exist. But (laughs) I've certainly run through my fair share of hiking shoes trying to find that one perfect fit. Any of our trail buddies from the Pacific Crest Trail will be laughing at me right now as they recall the different brands. Although I will note that REI has an amazing return policy. You could wear those things for like 100 miles and come back and be like, I'm sorry, they just don't work for me. And they're like, cool, let's help you pick out some new ones and we'll take those back. So what's this, like $140, $150? Yeah, sorry, that was a long-winded way of not answering your question. So I'm going to guess the most expensive pair of shoes I've ever bought, which would definitely be hiking boots, is going to be somewhere in the range of like 150 Yeah, I think the most I've ever spent is $175. And it was on a pair of hiking boots a half dozen years ago. I still have them. They work great. I get a ton of utility out of them. They're basically my primary outdoor shoes in the winter when uh, there's snow out here. But I... I don't think you get the same utility out of a $400 pair of designer heels. Yeah, I mean, I've never owned them. I don't think I've ever even really looked at them closely. One would hope that they're like super good quality and they'll last you for, I don't know, 20 years. But that's the whole problem with shoes is when you're talking about those kinds of shoes, they come and go like in style and out of style. And if you're the kind of person who's buying those shoes, 
you probably really care about that sort of thing. So even if the quality would let them last for 20 years, is the style going to last for 20 years? I don't know. Yeah, well, you're not, they're not built for you to wear every day or for you to wear. She's got 100 pairs. That means that she wears them. If she rotates through them in a cycle, <laughs> right? She wears each one three times a year, four times a year. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe she doesn't wear them every day. Maybe she has some sneakers and, you know, less fashionable shoes that she, she wears primarily. But, you know, each wearing takes them down a meaningful notch, I think. That's I think probably you'll be able true. To tell. It's just wearing fancy shoes like that is not, not good for them. So let's talk about a couple different things. One is could she sell those shoes maybe and get back a big chunk of change that she could use for this down payment? Possibly, but probably not. In 2002, your resale options for an item like that, probably eBay is your best bet. Yeah. Um, you're going to flood the market with a bunch of your shoes. There's going to be a bunch of options. You're going to have to do it. She's got 30 days to make this happen, so she needs to move pretty quickly. Um, I also just don't know how much value you're going to get out of those shoes. They're not going to be brand new. They're mm-hmm. not going to be in mint condition for the most part which means you're not going to get anything close to new value. I think you'd be really lucky to average half the retail price of those shoes. And I don't think you'd be able to pull that off. Yeah, she's definitely not going to get that much out of them. She might be able to charge a little bit more because she has some small level of fame. And maybe people will pay like, oh, I'm wearing Carrie Bradshaw's Manolo Blahniks. I mean, there was that episode of Seinfeld where George bought John Voight's car. (laughs) And was happy to have it. But man, I don't know if Carrie Bradshaw is a big enough celebrity. Yeah, she's a lady on the side of the bus. But I, I don't think people are going to pay, pay that big of a premium. Also, her market is not just limited to New York. If she's selling it on eBay, that's true. it's uh, it's anybody who on the internet who wants to buy it. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess I'm just bummed that she's not even considering it as an option. Like she's gotten herself into a serious jam here. And she's got a closet full of designer shoes also designer clothes which we don't even get into much in this episode but like it's not just the the shoes that she has a serious problem with she's buying all kinds of designer clothes so she should have been tracking her expenses or she could have been tracking her expenses and that definitely would have helped her identify that she wasn't spending four thousand dollars on all these shoes but that she was spending probably more than four thousand dollars a year on these shoes oh yeah Right, she's got forty thousand dollars of shoe inventory. Um, how many how many seasons worth is that? Is that eight years, ten years, only five years? She's spending I between know. I don't know four and ten thousand dollars a year on shoes, probably. So let's talk a little bit about her budget because it's just so wild. So if we estimate that she makes like twenty eight hundred dollars a month, let's just let's call it three thousand. Round up, okay. just round. Up. So let's say we know her rent is $700 a month. If we figure for utilities of all types, including like the landline phone that she has, I don't think she has a cell phone in 2002. Probably not. So yeah, general utilities, let's call that something like $200 a month. I don't know if she has like a cable package. She's hardly ever home. Doesn't matter. So one would hope not, but let's just call it about $200 a month in $2,002 for her general utilities because okay. it's a pretty small apartment. I think that's that's pretty fair. 
Um, transportation is a big question mark. We actually see a little bit about that in this episode where she talks about the fact that she takes cabs everywhere. So it depends on how far she's going and just how many trips she's taking every day. But I think she could easily be spending two, $300 a month on cabs. Oh, that that feels like a, a way low estimate. Yeah, maybe. Super right? low. Yeah. This is me never taking cabs talking. So that's right. totally fair. But, I mean, she's spending, what, like four or $500 a month on shoes probably? Yeah. So probably about that same amount on fancy clothes? Yeah, our estimate is... She's spending about $1,000 a month based on the habits that we see. For, on fashion things, right? Mm-hmm. Throughout yeah. the series, I think it's pretty fair to say she's spending roughly $1,000 a month on, you know, accessories, shoes, clothes, purses. Yeah, that feels like a conservative estimate. You're not, you're not buying $400 pairs of shoes to wear with clothes you got at the thrift store. Correct. <laughs> or at least she isn't. Well, so surely Carrie is cooking at home and balancing the budget. It all works out. Yeah, that's a negative. So it's kind of a running joke throughout the show that she uses her oven as like a storage cabinet for things like shoes. Um, (laughs) So she's not even using it to store her kitchen equipment. She's using it like a, a closet extension. Correct. So yeah, she is definitely not cooking at home. She eats out all the time. And I mean all the time. And she's not just going to grab a a dollar slice of pizza on on the street. Right? No, she's going I mean to fancy she and, brunches and yeah, restaurants. She and her three friends they have brunch at a really nice place um, very regularly. <laughs> I would say at least every Saturday or Sunday. So that's four times a week of having like a really nice brunch, bare minimum. She goes out a ton, like to the clubs and stuff, mm-hmm. right? They go out drinking all the time. They go to dance clubs all the time. And they go out to really nice dinners all the time. Now, maybe she's going with dates who are picking up the tab for her dinner bills quite a bit. But not all the time. She's definitely doing it on her own time a lot. Yeah, no matter what, there's no way that she's eating like she is, fashioning like she is, and transporting herself like she is with the, say, $2,000 a month she has left over after the bare minimum rent and utilities costs. Mm -hmm. There's just absolutely no way she's pulling that off. So... A bit of a plot hole in the show. Major Maybe plot hole. perhaps she's making more money than we're giving her credit for. Maybe we're underestimating how much additional writing she's doing to sell to other outlets. Who knows? Maybe, but it sure doesn't feel very sustainable. And as we see in this episode, she is one unexpected event, one disaster away from financial ruin and being the woman who lived in her shoes. So she wants to learn about money. We talked about Big before. Big is a super successful businessman, and she goes to him for help. What can I do for you? I once read that you took something like $3 million and leveraged it to build a $100 million building. How did you do that? What's going on? I want to buy my apartment, but I have no money. So I need money. You know money. I need to know what you know about money. Oh, Carrie. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I think this is a perfect strategy. Surely Big in, you know, a few minutes in the episode can just teach her how to money. Yeah, I mean, clearly he is an alchemist for a living and can turn 
stone into gold. So he'll just go, you know, do that a little for her and everything will be fine. No, he'll just turn her $1,700 into 30 k and everybody wins. Abracadabra. <laughs> swish and flick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very realistic proposition that she's coming to him with. I just, I feel so insulted by this scene, both on Big's behalf and on Carrie's behalf. Like, the writers are just making her come across as the absolute stupidest person ever. Going to someone and saying, you know money, I need money, what do I do in like the next 25 days, I think is what she has at this point, to come up with an extra 20 eight thousand three hundred dollars that she does not have and expecting him to just be like oh listen i'm going to teach you some business strategies that's gonna what would that be like 10 15 20 times your money almost about 15 yeah so not great not a great portrayal of women in particular i take great umbrage at the way that she is portrayed as this total clueless Person when it comes to money. And also, if I were in big shoes, I'd be kind of insulted too. If she were asking me that question, I'd be like, well, I did a lot of research on the real estate market and I like carefully invested the money and then took a lot of risk in order to, you know, build up this real estate empire. Well, if he took his money and up to from three million to a hundred million, he didn't do that in less than a month either. That is very (laughs) correct. And yeah. if he had a scheme to go do that on a, a big scale, he'd be doing it all the time. It just doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's There's no totally ridiculous. real world scenario that makes any sense that matches with this. And I don't know what she was hoping to have. I, I think she was really just hoping he would bail her out. I guess so. Which just feels even crappier. Like if that's really what she wants out of this, she should go in and say, honestly, look, I've gotten myself into a really rough position I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I need some help. You're my good friend. Can you trust me and bail me out and loan me this money and let's work out the terms for me to pay you back? And this has been a wake-up call for me. I realize I'm spending way too much on clothes and shoes and eating out. And she really should have been using this as like a major turning point in her life. So... I think we should talk about what she should be doing. But even if he gave her the $30,000, the bank's not going to want to give her a loan after that anyway, right? Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, we don't know what all of the factors were that the bank... Like, he'd have to give her the full hundred and fifty k, right? Potentially, yeah. I mean, I assume her credit is not super awesome. Uh, it, may be, it may just be average. But the fact that she doesn't have liquid assets... Right. Banks don't look very favorably on it when somebody else gives you the down payment for your loan. Right. That's not exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. She could easily still be denied for a loan, even after Big is fronting her the down payment. So I don't know. This is not looking good for Carrie here. Yeah. If I'm Carrie, um, there are a few things that maybe she should have done. The first is reconsider her living situation. If she doesn't have the money to go pay for it, she doesn't have the assets to get there, she doesn't really have a viable path to go buy this place from Aiden, well, then why isn't she basically making it a wake-up call and 
and finding a new place somewhere else. She probably should ask one of her dear friends if she can stay with them for a month while she saves up a little bit more money and then goes and gets her own place somewhere else. It'll be different. It's not where she wants to be, but this is the reality. I don't know how else you're going to go get $30,000 and get the bank to give you a loan. It just doesn't seem realistic. Yeah, I mean, she's got 25 days. Hopefully she'll get at least one paycheck, probably two paychecks in that amount of time. And as we've already talked about, her base living expenses are very low. She could live extremely frugally for the next 25 days. If that's still not enough for her to have saved up like a first and last month's rent to move into a new place, she should go tell her friends the same thing as I was. She could probably also sell, she could liquidate some of those shoes at that point as well and get enough money for that first and last month's rent. Yeah. And if she's really in a bind, asking a friend if you can stay with them for, you know, two to four weeks is a much gentler ask than can I borrow $30,000. So that's, if I had gotten myself into that situation, I would be doing that as opposed to borrowing 30K from a friend, which as we pointed out, may not even bail her out of her situation. (laughs) So... Yeah, she's she's deep in it. Okay. Well, she has a ridiculous approach to talking to Big about things. Uh, turns out he does offer her the money, and she goes to brunch with her gal pals, and they talk about it. Big offered me the money for my down payment. He just gave you $30,000? Well, as a loan, I would pay him back. Take the money. When a man gives you money, you give him control. It's just money. Man, woman, who cares? It's fluid. Someone needs it, you give it. You need it, you take it. I'm uncomfortable with this conversation. We shouldn't be talking about money. Why not? We talk about everything else. Yeah, people are funny about money. Don't cash biggest check. I'll loan you the money. You're about to have a baby. I can't take your money. And furthermore, do you have that much? I have about half that. What, does no one else shoe shop? I could loan you the rest. Look, it is really, really sweet of you two to offer. It's really, really sweet, but I'm going to I'm gonna do this on my own. So I said this is a brunch. This is actually at a dinner at a Chinese restaurant. My apologies. I forgot about that. Yeah, a pretty expensive looking Chinese restaurant we should have. <laughs> so there are like a half dozen like really fascinating <laughs> topics. Yeah. I feel like we could do an episode of Pennies and Popcorn about this clip on its own so let's let's hit the high points pretty fast okay Okay. i've got my list and you can add to it if there's anything else so the first one big officer of the money should she take it does this create like a weird power dynamic and a set of control uh between a woman and a man or whatever uh does this is that something she should be worried about i am kind of with miranda on this one i feel like yeah taking the money from big just puts her in an uncomfortable situation. I mean, she and Big have had this really tumultuous on-again, off-again relationship, and they already have this big imbalance of power because Big just makes so much more money than she does, and that's something that Carrie really values. And yeah, like she already wants what he has, and then for her to be like actually indebted to him, I don't know. I think it's going to change the dynamic of their relationship and I don't think so at all. I think $30,000 isn't that much money to big. Uh, well, I also think that their relationship, like he doesn't really have 
that kind of power over her. I, I don't I don't think it would really change the dynamics in a huge way. They're both really fiercely independent people. They've had this on again, off again kind of thing throughout the series. So I so I've been told. I obviously I haven't uh-huh. watched that many of these uh-huh. episodes. I don't know. The fact that it's not that much money to him doesn't change it at all for me. In fact, I think it almost makes it worse. Because I mean, it is a lot of money to her. So I think for her, like if Big calls her up and says, hey, let's go get dinner and have out a little hanky-panky afterwards, is Carrie going to be like, I can't say no. I think she's presented as the kind of character who would have the confidence to say no about that. I don't know. I think it's just going to make it harder for her to feel... Also, he's he's presented as the kind of character who gets around as much as he wants to with anybody he wants to. And like, why would he need to go take advantage of her that way. I, I think we're we're reading the worst into people when we're thinking about that power dynamic and not looking at the individual characters and yeah, personalities. Yeah, maybe a little bit. She wants the money. She has a path to the money. Take the money. <laughs> okay, Samantha. Yeah. <laughs> money is fluid. You need it, you take well, it. Okay. You have it, you give it. <laughs> well, that was my second point, which is an awesome like way. It'd be so cool if the world worked this way, that we were yeah. just like this big commune and... You know, we help each other out and we give money and we yeah. take it when we need it. But that isn't real. It that. does feel very hippie commune-like, which I have to confess sounds like kind of nice to me. <laughs> but it just never works in reality, which is why we live in the capitalist world that we do, right? Because this is the system that works for people. It's the system that like takes the very negative thing of greed and turns it into a at least semi-positive thing. So, yeah, I just... It's, this is not a realistic statement for her to no, be making. it's fake. It's funny. It's ridiculous. Moving on. The third <laughs> thing that they talk about in the clip is the friends talking about money creates a bunch we of discomfort. We shouldn't be talking about this. I'm uncomfortable. Exactly. So these are four super close friends. The name of the show is Sex in the City. They get together and they talk about the intimate details of their lives. Yes. They can't talk about like their financial frictions. Yeah. So this is such an interesting dynamic specifically coming from Charlotte because her whole backstory is never like explicitly laid out, but she definitely comes from a very wealthy family. And it certainly seems like she probably has a trust fund. She married a really wealthy guy, which is going to be important later in this episode. And she got a really good settlement after her divorce from him. So she has money from her family. She has money from her ex-husband. She is sitting pretty in life and she hasn't had to do much of anything to earn the money that she has. So my take is friends, get over it. Talk about money. Like if we could if we could accomplish anything with pennies and popcorn, I wish it would be normalizing the idea of having open and honest money discussions with the people we care about. I think it just makes everybody's life better when we can learn from each other not repeat the same mistakes oh i totally agree i think being fully above board with your finances is such a powerful thing and it would prevent carrie from being in the situation that she's in right if she had been talking to her friends about her money situation because it seems like she makes dramatically less than the rest of them do or have in charlotte's case and i think if she had been honest with them and said look Guys, you are all making well into the six figures or you've inherited millions of dollars and these extravagant brunches and 
dinners and club hopping events that we do together are really fun and I love them, but I cannot afford this. I have nothing in savings. If something happens to me, I'm going to be up a creek without a paddle. I think they would have said, oh, Carrie, like, thanks for being so honest with us. Let's talk about how we can do things in a more budget-friendly way. Or Yeah, they solve each other's sex life and love life and social life problems all the time together. Why can't they talk about money? Okay, moving on. The fourth one. No, because I want to talk a little bit more about Charlotte and the fact that it's she's the one who's uncomfortable talking about it because she is the one who hasn't earned the money that she has. And I think that's such an important thing to note because if you are coming into money that you've done nothing to earn... I think you're kind of sheepish about it, which is why, like, if you have kids, you have to give such careful consideration to how much money you're going to leave them. And this is like so many, you know, famous wealthy people are planning to give their kids like a tiny fraction of their fortunes because they don't want that kind of dynamic for their kids. So, yeah, I think it's a noteworthy topic. I think what's more relevant is the fact that Charlotte knows she's got a lot more money than Carrie does. And she sort of feels like she's going to be pressured to give some of it away, especially with the way that Samantha's talking about money being so fluid. So that that's just what makes her uncomfortable. Yeah, among other things, I think. Yeah. Okay, number four. Miranda offers $15,000 to Carrie. And Carrie is taken aback by this. And part of her response is, you have that kind of money? Which seems totally surprising because Miranda (laughs) is a partner at a big law firm in New York. She's making multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, Miranda graduated from Harvard Law School, which almost certainly means that she's at a pretty high-powered firm commanding a really, really solid salary. Now, it is 20 years ago, but in today's world, someone like Miranda could easily be making like $700,000, a million dollars. So... Even back then, it was a lot of money. Yeah, and her lifestyle is not all that different than Carrie's. Even yeah, no, maybe. Makes... Yeah, exa- exactly. Her lifestyle is not that different from Carrie's, which means that she should have way more in savings than Carrie has, given the difference in their income. But the one possibility is that Miranda has an insane amount of student loan debt, and that's why she has so little in savings. But, but even she's... at 35, yeah. she... If she's not paying off her student loan debt rapidly and has gotten, hasn't gotten rid of it. Yeah, she's probably been out of law school for something like 10 years. She's made partner at a firm. Like, she should have paid off her student loans by now. Yeah, if she didn't have $15,000 available right now to give Carrie, wait a month, and she would. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Crazy talk. The next one, and it kind of ties to this, Samantha follows up and offers another, she says, I'll I'll cover the difference. I've got $15,000. I'll give you two. Mm-hmm. No big deal. And I think Samantha does well. She's a publicist. So she she makes plenty of money. But what's interesting here is that she's offering this as a, as a loan. Both of them are loaning carry the money just like Big was. And what I want to briefly talk about is the whole concept of loans between friends and expectations there. Because we see this in cinema and on the TV all the time where people are like, I'll loan you the money. And there's never any discussion of terms. And so I think somebody like Carrie probably just expects to literally pay back exactly the principal that she's been offered with zero interest over some ill-defined term of the rest of her life. I don't know, uh, which which seems kind of ridiculous. Um, I think if you're going to make a loan offer to a friend, you better expect it to be a gift. Yeah, I don't think you should loan money that you can't afford to lose. 
which in Samantha and Miranda's case may be true. They may not miss that 15K very much if Carrie can't pay it back, but they are obviously presenting it as a loan. They are hoping to get the money back. And given Carrie's lifestyle and how little she has in savings now, that's going to be a really tough thing for her to do. So, and as her friends who take her to expensive restaurants and bars and clubs, they are going to be making it harder for her to do. Yeah, it would create a lot of friction if she owes you $15,000 and you see her constantly making financial choices that aren't setting her up to pay you that money back in any kind of reasonable time frame. Yeah, I mean, these people go shopping together all the time. Like every time they go shopping together, is Samantha going to be looking at Carrie like, um, how about you give me that $400 instead of spending it on your 101st pair of shoes? The sixth and final thing that I heard from this clip that I want to make sure we touch on is that she turned, she's gotten an offer from help from Big. She's gotten an offer from money from Miranda and from Samantha. And she says, nope, I'm doing it on my own. And she has no plan. Like, yeah. what? What is she going to do? I'm just going to take care of this myself? How? What? There is zero possibility that she's going to do it. She doesn't seem resigned to accept the fact that she'll have to move and give up her place. What is she doing? I have no idea what her supposed plan is. I feel like this is the kind of thing that someone just says to sound brave and independent, but in reality, there's she's like she's she's now maybe she's gonna do it's this dumb. plan that we talked about and outlined for her, like sell your stuff, save like crazy, and then move somewhere else. But I don't know. She doesn't seem to be even considering that as an option. So I don't know what she's referring to here. Well, you talked a little bit about the tension with Charlotte. And the fact that she has a lot of money and she inherited this money. Uh, Charlotte doesn't offer her anything at the Chinese restaurant. And it kind of leads to a little bit of a blow up. We've got a clip here. Uh, It's a long building fight. Uh, And we took kind of the very beginning where things start to get heated and the close of it and just mashed them together. Why didn't you offer me the money? I knew you were going to say that. I wouldn't take it. Well, then what does it matter if I offer it or not? Because... I would have offered it to you. And what kills me is you don't even have to work. You're volunteering. Gary, I love you. But it's not my job to fix your finances. You're a 35-year-old woman. You need to learn to stand on your own. So she had other options. We just talked about this. And she says she's (laughs) going to do it on her own. And her path to doing it on her own was to go badger Charlotte about it and make her feel bad for not offering her money. Carrie's behavior is just totally unacceptable. I just, you cannot go to a friend and make them feel guilty for not offering you money. Even if you know that they have it. It's just a very personal decision as to whether they're willing to do that or not. And they talk a little bit and... Um, this scene and a part that we don't hear about like how it can affect relationships and they're right I mean it can go really sour and we already talked about the fact that you know are they going to be able to continue to go shopping together if one of them owes the other one money it's going to complicate things there's no question about it totally inappropriate for Carrie to just barge in there and make her feel guilty for that yeah Charlotte comes from a place of privilege here and has a bunch of wealth that she didn't do a whole lot to earn on her own. But at the same time, she has no obligation just because she has this. Yeah. And the one thing that Charlotte has done 
right, at least as far as we know, that Carrie really hasn't, is Charlotte has lived within her means. And she's got plenty, and so that was a way easier thing for her to do. She gets to live the same lifestyle that Carrie lives. But for Charlotte, it's within her means. And for Carrie, it clearly is not. She's stretching herself way too thin. So I think it's totally fair for Charlotte to say, look, you've been messing up financially, and... I'm not going to like swoop in and save you because you've bought a hundred pairs of Manolo Blahniks. It's just not, it's nobody's fault but Carrie's that she's in this position, which I think is so infuriating because there are so many people in the world who are like in the same financial position that Carrie's in, but they do not have a hundred pairs of $400 shoes in their closet. They're in that situation because, you know, their earning potential is really limited or they've got a huge number of kids that they have to feed. And Carrie is just out flitting around and spending it on these super frivolous things. So I think the only thing that Charlotte should feel a little guilty about is that she's been kind of encouraging and enabling Carrie's overspending by being her friend and like encouraging her to, you know, spend it up and go out with her all the time and eat these fancy meals. So maybe she should feel a little guilty about that. So... In this clip, in the, some of the part that we edited out here to mash it together and not make it the entire episode, we see that Charlotte is wearing a beautiful Tiffany engagement ring that she was given by her recent ex-husband. And the episode concludes with them reconciling their fight by Charlotte saying it's time for her also to grow and move on. And she's happy to help out carry and she gives her this diamond ring which when we watched this sparked an idea that i thought about in the episode when we talked about things that carrie should be doing she had a three carat ring from some fancy designer that aiden the guy from my big fat greek wedding her fiance who she broke up with had given her and at the very beginning of the episode we don't even talk about this money moment she gives him back this engagement ring and he reluctantly accepts it. He's basically saying, no, you keep it. It's yours. I don't want it. And she says, no, 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 no. It's yours. You take it. And he says, fine. And then she opens the letter five minutes later that says, pay me the money. You got to buy this apartment for me if you want to keep living here. Mm -hmm. Why didn't she go back to him? uh, If a ring is all it takes to get out of this, why doesn't she go back to Aiden and say, look, I, I lack the capital for the down payment. You were prepared to give this to me. I misunderstood where we were going with the housing. I am blindsided. You know how much this place means to me. Even if we're not together, you're a wonderful person. Help me out. He probably would have. He probably would have let her just yeah. have the ring. Yeah, he might have. I mean, he was going to give it to her in the first place. So, yeah, that's another really good option that she has that she just doesn't seem willing to even consider. Charlotte's two-carat Tiffany engagement ring. I looked into this. You're not getting anything like that from me. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Today, that costs for a pretty good quality diamond uh, about $80,000. I mean, it it runs a big range based on uh, the the quality of the stone you're going to get there. But nevertheless, maybe that's 60 grand then. She needs $30,000. Do you think she's going to get $30,000 out of this $60,000 ring? Yeah. I mean, the retail markup on engagement rings and just jewelry and diamonds in general is so, so insane. 
And we could go down the rabbit hole of talking about diamonds and just how awful they are and how upset I would be if you got me an $80,000 ring of any kind. But yeah, it's um, it's a long and difficult topic that we're not going to delve into today. But yeah, the diamond business is really terrible. Well, they definitely don't keep their value. There, there's just not a secondhand market for rings like there is for cars which is so insane to me because like if i were gonna buy a used car versus a used ring i mean just think about like cars get so beat up and kids eat cheerios in the back seat i mean like cars get messed up whereas rings are virtually indestructible it seems like there should be a market for a jeweler to go take somebody's old ring assess its quality give it a rating and a pricing scheme and then create a secondary market for people to buy it. I think it's really hard for an amateur to go buy a stone like that because you just don't know what you're getting. You could easily get something better for less money on the first-hand market. I mean, it's a stone. I don't know what first, second-hand used really means here. It's, yeah, it's like a rock. It, it's a diamond. It's like the <laughs> hardest material on earth, right? Like they don't, you cannot break it. You well, cannot mess it up. It's just crazy to me that they don't, hold their value like complete but it's because the whole thing is a total racket it's just yeah. uh to illustrate this we have a funny story that happened to some friends of ours so back when we lived in dallas there was a company that ran these scavenger hunts which carl and i competed in a few of and maybe in a, another episode of pennies and popcorn we can talk about how much fun we had doing that but our friends competed and uh, on a, a scavenger hunt where the grand prize was a $15,000 engagement ring from a local jewelry company. And they won. They won this. And it was kind of funny. Thanks to our coaching. Yeah, we maybe gave them some tips. But also, <laughs> they're quite talented and didn't need it anyway. That's true. Uh, but the guy had recently proposed to this girl. She was his fiance at the time. And they won this new <laughs> engagement ring, which was just kind of silly. They're like, well, what, what am I going to do with this? And they said, well, why don't we just try to get the money for it instead of the ring itself from the jeweler, you know, from the people who are putting on this contest. And the $15,000 ring, they go back to the jeweler and say, yeah, how about, can we just have $15,000 in cash? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't give you the retail value of this ring. Uh, we would lose money on that. Instead, you know, here's a I think an offer for about less than two thirds of the value. So I think it was less than $10,000 or about $10,000 of what they were, they would be willing to exchange it for, for cash for them to go resell it brand new. Uh, I think my friend decided to keep it and they tried to resell it, but weren't really happy with what they were going to get for it. Um, and this is just illustrative of the whole secondhand jewelry market. And to this day, it's still just sitting in a box in their closet. I right? believe so. Yeah, that's so I think, wild. So the really tragic thing is that I, they had to pay income tax on the, the fifteen thousand dollar valuation for this ring. Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, uh, I think they probably should have been able to pay income tax for the real value of the ring, which clearly wasn't fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> clearly, but nevertheless, I don't, I'm not sure they battled on that, and I, I don't think they've moved it yet i would have taken the 10k and run yeah i don't think you're gonna do much better than that on ebay doing it on your own yeah but so in this case here right this is 2002 there are fewer online marketplaces than there are today uh there are fewer niche businesses that would have been set up to help you do secondhand jewelry sales this 
$60,000 Tiffany ring. I don't know if she could have gotten $30,000 out of it or not. Maybe. We assume so. They don't talk about it in future episodes. Maybe Tiffany is like REI and they have a really awesome return policy. What do you think? Maybe this episode was brought to you by Tiffany. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing Tiffany and REI are not in the same headspace when it comes to returns. No, I don't think so. Yeah, well, you know, you can try. So ultimately, Carrie ends up getting the money for the down payment, which presumably is enough to put her over the edge to where she qualifies for the loan because yeah. she gets to keep the apartment. So Let's just assume that the bank gave her a loan and didn't ask where all that extra money came from. Yeah, I mean, she's taking on one loan so she can go get another one. You would assume that the bank would be like, what other debt do you have? And then she's going to have to disclose this 30K debt. And oh, she's not disclosing her 30K personal loan. Well, she should be. Agreed. She should be. But no way. Yeah. But all's well that ends well in television. So she ding, ding. gets her happy ending, gets to stay in this apartment that she loves so much and gets to keep her friendship with Charlotte. And we never hear about this storyline again. We never hear about Charlotte kind of like nudging Carrie for payments. We never hear what the terms of the loan are. So who knows? Who knows? But they stay friends, so I guess it all works out. Yeah, surely they just, she gradually pays her off over a couple of years and steady installments and is never laid on anything. I'm sure I'm sure it just worked out perfectly. Carrie does start to have more financial success as the series goes on. She writes a book and starts to do better. So hopefully it didn't take her that long to pay Charlotte back. One will never know. It's in the mystery of the TV universe. I will do my best not to watch more episodes so that I will just live in suspense. Oh, we're going to do more Sex in the City. There's too much lavish spending and money craziness not to do more Sex in the City. All right. But that'll do it for today, guys. So thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you learned that 100 times 400 is 40,000 and not 4,000. And... Try not to spend too much on shoes, guys. It's a bad, bad way to go. All good advice. Thanks, everyone. See Take you next care. time.